HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by the Dairy Farm Families of Wisconsin, the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board. Did you know that today Wisconsin produces more than 600 varieties, types, and styles of American, international style, and original cheese that win more awards than any other state or country? To learn more, visit eatwisconsincheese.com. I'm Linda Palaccio, host of A Taste of the Past. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hello. Welcome to Cutting the Curd. I'm Diane Stemple, and today I have the pleasure of welcoming Charlotte Kamen and Nate McElroy, co-authors of a new sumptuous cheese book called A First Course in Cheese, in studio. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Thanks, Diane. I'm really, I always love having authors in the studio. Anyway, I'm not sure if I've ever had a cheese book written by two people. Like, I've had two people, but not for a cheese book. Were your first? Yeah. We, I, you guys are my first. So I have an, you know, an assortment of two cheese author questions. Okay. <laughs> anyway, how did you decide to write this book? Well, we were actually approached by, a, um, I guess it's sort of a recruiter for a publishing house, and they had done mm-hmm. a uh, publication called The First Course in Wine. Oh. Uh, written by Dan and Matuzzi, and they were looking for a companion piece. And so um, Dan pointed them uh, in our direction, and it sort of took off from there. Oh, so they came with the title and the idea. The title was essentially flushed out, and the idea was malleable, but mm-hmm. they essentially wanted to have uh, a package mm-hmm. for their wine and cheese. Okay. And did they... Uh, were they near Bedford Cheese Shop? How did they? Did the wine guy know you or shop with you? Or yeah, Dan had uh, taught a couple of classes, mm-hmm. um, and he's at Italy, so it's pretty close and flat iron to Gramercy. Okay, um, and so you know, I got to know Dan through his involvement in our education program at the shop, um, mm-hmm. and he was gracious enough to direct them our way. Okay, so they found you. We found each other. <laughs> So, Charlotte, how did you get involved? 
Um, pretty much the same exact way that Nate just described. Okay. That they came to us with okay. this proposal of a concept of that they just knew that they wanted it to be um, a companion piece. Mm-hmm. What they were envisioning was like a gift box set to mm-hmm. go with the wine. Mm. And so they wanted us to come up with the cheese portion. So they, you know, simultaneously, Nate and I mm-hmm. were approached about it. Did you, um, how much input did you two have in terms of the, the content of the book, the flow of the book, is it copied after the wine book, or were you, did you come up with it? It seems to me like they came up with the overarching concept of wanting it to be a, a basically a primer of some mm-hmm. sorts, that mm-hmm. it can be in the hands of a novice, as well as somebody who's very experienced with cheese and get the same kind of reward from it. Mm-hmm. But as far as the breakdown and the content, that was really just on Nate and I to come up with the structure of the book as mm-hmm. well as what we chose to feature. Okay. Did the idea evolve from when they came to you? Did you think, oh, we'll do one thing, and then did it evolve over time as you both realized you wanted to include more or less? Yeah, yeah. I think so. I think we had uh, a lot of different ideas that uh, weren't necessarily within the concept that they were looking for, um, uh-huh. but eventually we, we pared everything down and, and made it really streamlined um, and uh, you'll see it in the copy that you have. Uh, mm-hmm. so. mm. I so think part of it was through the process we realized that this could just be the beginning. Like this was just the first book that we might do together. And oh, that, cool. Um, you know, that there could be more to come in the future. But what tangentially what we went on as far as what we could add into it and what we wanted to talk about or the voice and the tone, we were like, we need to actually just con- make this concise for this one specific project. Okay. Now, were either of you English majors or wanting to be writers or had a cheese book in I your mean, brain? I, I went to school for creative writing, and Nate is a very skilled and creative writer as well. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you went to school in any capacity for it. Oh, no, I did interdisciplinary studies. <laughs> right. So I majored in a little bit of everything. Right, exactly. So he's basically a literary major. Yeah. <laughs> Whenever I want to be, I'm also a history yeah. major. Uh, uh-huh. I can talk about visual arts. So. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I went to school for creative writing, but not in this kind of format by any means. But right. that also was hmm. many lifetimes ago. So. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Cool. Now, for our listeners who have not yet seen the book, it consists of a really informative long intro section which covers animal breeds, farming, important aspects of cheese making, cheese care before launching into the bulk of the book which is called the Encyclopedia of Cheese. And then there's um at the end there's some um, a section or two on how to eat and yeah, pairings so, and all yeah, that stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um so which were your favorite parts and which did you know you wanted to do? I, for me, I think that it was all a total blur. Like the, <laughs> to, to you be, don't remember? To be honest, I mean, the majority of this, it was written in less than a year. Was oh, I was going to ask that. Like, yeah. was there a deadline? Yeah, there were several. Some we pushed back, <laughs> some we bent Did completely. you miss some? Yeah, for oh. sure. We're, I mean, now we put on the writer hat, so we missed most of our deadlines, and we asked for more advances, uh-huh. and we had to take retreats. And... Oh, retreats together to write. Yeah. Okay. Um... No, I would say that, I, correct me if I'm wrong, you have a way better t- like reality for time than I do, but seven months, eight months? 
oh, I, of writing? I would say probably about five. Right. So it was very. <laughs> it was a very five. short amount of time that mm-hmm. we did this all in. So I, I, it was kind of like a f- like fever frenzy as okay. far as creation is concerned. It was very intense, um, and there were essentially weekly deadlines that um, we had to meet, and then there was a turnaround on those, um, and the editorial process played into where... Uh, where we were able to focus our energies, and um, it was a great learning experience. Okay. Did you write at work, or did you always write not at work? A little bit of both. Majority not at work. Yeah, majority mm-hmm. was not at work, but yeah. there were some punch-drunk times at the shop where it was like, oh, let's let's write about right. some cheeses. That like, we, just we have later. the deadline in, like, four hours mm-hmm. or two oh. hours <laughs> or 45 minutes, and we really need to finish this, like, five pages. Now, yeah. I had gotten a, an impression, because it says Bedford Cheese Shop on the cover, mm-hmm. I thought maybe work had you do it. Oh, no. Well, no. No. Well, technically, <laughs> I'm work. And I and they came to us about this project, and I said that it's the best, like it's a great way to build the build the brand, right? Right. Us That's what I was to come thinking. out of pocket to actually yeah. put up the initial investment for publishing. So you wanted Bedford Cheese Shop on it? Yes, that okay. was part of it that okay. I, that we pushed to make sure that it was a Bedford Cheese Shop um, recognized okay. publication. Okay. How did you divide up the writing or the topics? I think we we just kind of jumped in. You know, uh, Google Documents is a beautiful thing. And um, Rochambeau. A lot of Rochambeau. Yeah, arm yeah. wrestling, stuff yeah. like that. It's yeah. Really... yeah. Who is still awake. Uh, <laughs> Finish this. Yeah. 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 Um, no, it was, it was actually just like one of the most collaborative and, and balanced products I've ever worked on where um, we had we had worked with an outline um, that we established early on mm-hmm. and we were just able to chip away at it. And, you know, there would be days after working you know, 10, 11 hours at the shop, you'd have to go home and write for three more hours, oh, and then we'd both gosh. be on Google Documents and like you could see each other like banging things out. Uh-huh. Um, so it was, it was really just kind of like, what needs to get done, and okay, do you want to do that? Great. Okay. You know, it was very diplomatic. Like, for example, um, which of you did animal breeds? We both did. We both did. Oh, I both mean, did. really, another thing is that for each section yeah. that we did, we would edit each other's. So that oh, it was okay. kind of a unifying, mm-hmm. um, and Nate and I are both friends and also have a somewhat similar sense of humor. So mm-hmm. as far as getting a unified tone is concerned, mm-hmm. it wasn't the most difficult to do. Yeah, it doesn't sound like two people. Right. We're actually the same person. Oh. This is just me throwing my voice. But I do see no, there are two people in the studio with me. It's so true. So you've, you've done something. We've done many things, yeah. <laughs> um. So, so you weren't, are you his boss? Well, we've been partners for the last five years. Well, Nate came in as a monger with the um, concept of becoming, we were about to open the Irving Place location, about to accept a New York City build-out standards, meaning like two years. Right. Um, with the intention of like right after Nate moved from California to New York, so that's why you you moved to yeah. open the store. Open the store. Yeah. yeah. So, but he came out with the thought that the shop was going to be open within a few months, and then reality set in, and it was going to actually be like a year and a half or so. Mm-hmm. So, Nate, what I did basically, which I started on the counter and then became who I am now, of years of working on the counter and growing, he did the same thing in a shortened amount of time. So he mm-hmm. worked on the counter, he got a vibe for what being a monger at Bedford Cheese Shop's all about, and mm-hmm. then um, was general manager within that first year, and then Irving opened, so he 
built out the Irving Place location design-wise, concept-wise, mm-hmm. curation, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. With me, you know, we were as a team mm-hmm. for that first, took like six months. The build it was actually out. like a year to the day that oh, yeah. moved to New York City. See, to, to when the store opened. Yeah. 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 Where had you worked in California? Uh, I worked, my last job in California was working for the Cheeseworks West. Mm. It was no longer around. Okay. Um, and before that, uh, I worked for a, a great shop and a good guy named Ray Bear at oh, Cheese Oh, I know Plus. him. Yeah. Oh. Um, so that's what was my first cheese job, and then mm-hmm. did some freelance stuff in between, and then learned the uh, importing and distribution game uh, mm-hmm. under the Giambalvos at the Cheese Works. Mm-hmm. And what made you? What what brought you to cheese? Um, it was kind of random. I was mm-hmm. working. <laughs> I was working in uh, Sacramento while I was going to graduate school, um, working for the Secretary of State, doing um, basically legislative aid stuff. The Secretary and, of State. Yeah. Yeah. Um, thrilling stuff. Does the uh, Secretary of State like cheese? That has nothing to do with cheese. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I was really burnt out on it. I didn't like it. And mm-hmm. um, I moved down to the Bay Area. I moved to San Francisco. And I was I actually had a job lined up to be a tile salesman. <laughs> mm, and, you uh, would have done so good at I that. I would have nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, uh, the fates uh, allowed that to fall through. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, it the money that I had saved up when I moved there started dwindling away, and I was like, I need a job. And I really like food, so, oh, there's a job at this cheese store. I'll go take a look and see mm-hmm. what this is all about. And, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, Did you fall in love? I didn't. You didn't? I didn't. Okay. Um, it took a while. Okay. It took a while, <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I fell in love with the concept of running a store, of merchandising, of procurement. Oh, of, well, that's of, good. Yeah. That's like even that, better. That yeah. Cheese, cheese was sort of like a... It was a periphery for me at, uh, in, in that role Initially. there. Yeah. Um, but I, I really grew to love it, and now it's, you know, it's just a part of my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and how did you get into cheese? I don't think I know that answer, Charlie. <clears throat> um, I, like Nate, kind of fell into it. Mm-hmm. But I was uh, 16 at the time, and I had been running the bakery juice bar. I was the assistant team leader of a bakery juice bar in Whole Foods Market, Mill Valley, California. Oh, wow. Um, and then the woman who ran the specialty department, which consisted of beer and cheese and olives and um, charcuterie, uh, offered me a position, which mm-hmm. I took. Her name's Mary Kalo. She's still involved in the cheese world. And What year is this? 96. Mm-hmm. And then I started working in that department, and then I was there for a few years before I left to come to New York. Mm-hmm. And then... Uh, when I moved to New York, my friend who was running a cafe called The Verb, her bosses wanted to start a cheese shop, and that was the Bedford Cheese Shop, but I started oh, cool. as the first employee on the counter. Oh, cool. Cool. Yeah. And when did Bedford open? 2003. Okay. And when did the Irving Place store open? 2012. <laughs> he knows the dates. I'm really not good with time. <laughs> I'm okay. I'm good at a lot of other things, and okay. I don't feel like I need to be good at everything. Now, when you wrote the book, were you thinking of answering customers' questions? Like, is it, you know, to explain all your cheeses? I think in a certain format, we knew that there was questions that are universally asked at a cheese counter mm-hmm. that were covered in certain sections of the book. I, And I think that... As a cheesemonger, you have a very set amount of time that you're working with a customer. So you don't always have the ability to share the full story of the producers. Mm -hmm. So what we chose to feature in the encyclopedia 
portion of the book was really trying to expand upon the stories of these producers, some that we consider family and that we've worked mm-hmm. with for a really long time and mm-hmm. wanting to just share their story in a larger um, format where it can actually be ingested mm-hmm. opposed to quick sound bites on a mm-hmm. counter. Because um, I'm more familiar with the Williamsburg Bedford Cheese Shop, but you have a very packed case, and it's full of some pretty obscure cheeses. Yes. So I would imagine Irving Place is even bigger. Yes. It's the same thing (laughs) except larger. So you have a lot of cheeses to talk about. Yes. That people don't know. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. That was the good part of the book. For um, someone in the cheese world, is a lot of cheeses I don't know. Yeah. Uh, which is why I said I'm hungry. <laughs> Can we eat some? Right. Yes. <laughs> I know. I was With last minute. More, it more was than, last minute. More than a, you know, the morning of. I suggested that this morning. Yeah. <laughs> and we denied her. <laughs> it's okay. I haven't eaten during the radio show before. Oh, yeah. Well, we can pop that cherry next time. We've already been here, too, for so. Okay, great, great. Um, I also like the fact that lots of respect is given to the cheesemongers in the book, in the beginning of the book. Yeah. Um, Any comments about that? Well, we take our profession very seriously. And Mm -hmm. um, really, it's about, um, from a consumer standpoint, the person that's going to be reading this book, we, we wanted to let them kind of understand where we're coming from when they come into the shop. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we, we have the knowledge. We, we want to help them. We want to make sure that they leave really happy and hungry. Um, but maybe they need to see exactly what we're doing on a day-to-day basis and mm-hmm. what we take a lot of pride in as cheesemongers. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we really wanted to do was inspire the customer to come in with the right questions and create a conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, instead of just going through the same rudimentary, I need three cheeses. I'm having a different right. part of this. It's like, right. okay, well, you know, what do you like? You know, what do you want to stay away from? All that sort of stuff that, like, seems to be sort of lost uh, most of the time mm-hmm. in that dialogue. Right, yeah. right. Uh, okay, now, there were some big decisions in writing the book, I thought. How do you decide which cheeses to include? Some of it was really easy because we knew. Okay. Well, we created sections. Well, right. You created sections. <clears throat> and so we had to fill those sections. Correct. Which was the first checklist <laughs> off that. But, but the sections are somewhat obvious and have lots they are, of choices. Which also makes it difficult because it is some like so obvious. Right. There's, so there's a whole other... Um, episode that we'll talk to Greg about doing as far as like cheese subsections and yeah. how things are actually classified and why. Well, I was, I did have some questions about... Never mind, with you. If, with you, we'll have it. If uh, something's washed and also cooked and pressed, right. how do you decide which category it goes in? That's a lot of gray area and that was something <laughs> I, I never felt really comfortable with, like, like creating that delineation. Uh, yeah. However, it, you know, we create, but everyone has to, and right, you just exactly. throw them in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which, Pretty I mean, much. Nate and I came to that conversation many times mm-hmm. about, yeah. like, this is just arbitrary. Yeah. Like, when we're talking about these generalized categories to begin mm-hmm. with, it is um, it is very great. Yeah. yeah, and did you, like, both get to throw in ten of your favorites? Or, you know, was there a small cheese that wasn't going to make it? No, I think both of us got all of the cheeses that... 
we either both had agreed upon just uh-huh. serendipitously to right. to include, or we're each mm-hmm. wanting to feature okay. that cheese. Yeah, you I, know I, you I have a I lot of cheeses in this book. Do we? How many cheeses do we have? Uh, I counted. Uh, yeah, you counted great. Yeah, over like two hundred and thirty. That's it. Wow, that's I not think. a lot. <laughs> yeah. And could God, you guess what were guess we doing for this five months? What country? France. Okay. What's the second? America. Excellent. Oh, did those, you, did, those are you based guessing? Of, yes. <laughs> yes, I was. Number um, number three. I'll let you guess number three. It's Italy. harder. Oh, you're smart. We're also professional, <laughs> but they're way. Italy's it's way a big down. Gap right now. Yeah, yeah. It's it's seventy one France, sixty USA, and thirty one Italy. Well, let me maybe shed some light. Okay, maybe okay. perhaps. Yeah, shed some. Light. We actually Bedford Cheese Shop was also an importer. So yes. we work with small producers throughout the states mm-hmm. directly. So that's one of our yes. things you, that we're able to do. Well, so, you had some very uh, obscure American cheesemakers as well as the more well-known American cheesemakers in there. Right. And so for France, we also have traveled extensively mm-hmm. and work with different sourcers as well as producers throughout France to be right. able to bring in cheeses. Mm-hmm. After the book was published... What happened? Uh Uh-oh, here's a newsflash. We have more Italian cheeses that we've started to import directly. Okay, interesting. We have a great source for Belgian cheese, which it's just the only reason Belgian cheese wasn't featured more than France or uh, the U.S. Yeah. Is because the cheeses that we actually import are not, we don't have more than them. Right. I'm pretty sure the majority of the Belgian cheeses that we import directly are almost all featured in the book. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Ten. So we might have like 15 or 20 throughout the year, okay. like different seasonality, right. you know, right. procurement, but for that reason. Okay. Okay. We have to take a break. Uh, this is Diane Stemple on Cutting the Curd, talking about a first course in cheese with Nate McElroy and Charlotte Kamen. We'll see you soon. It's Diane Stemple back on Cutting the Curd. So my next question is, how do you decide the pictures? Oh, well, we were lucky we had an inside photographer. Oh, uh, now what's that mean? Uh, <laughs> so, uh, one of you? Nate's amazing partner, Ellen. Okay. Uh, yeah. 
Uh, no, that's fine. Yeah, she's my girlfriend. No, she's I was going to ask her last name. <laughs> Cronin. If I kind of pronounce <laughs> okay. it on the radio. Ellen Cronin. <laughs> yeah. Um, she, uh, Michael Roy. Has a, thank yeah. You, uh, has, a, has a beautiful eye and uh, really a, a. Well, she's a photographer and yeah. she like really helped us out. We got a lot of the budget, or a budget mm-hmm. from the publishing conglomerate mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. funded right. this um, to use stock images oh. for the book. As well as using our own personal photography, and Nate and I both are, come from the same aesthetic background where we were like, no, we want the photos, and Ellen is super talented and happened to have a gap in her Yeah, she was uh, professional life jobs, at that time. Yeah. And uh, it, it worked out serendipitously where, um, you know, it, a lot of the things we needed to shoot for this book were going to be stuff or or cheeses that we import or had in the in the shop. Right. And you're not going to find uh, photo stock or eye stock or whatever for right. those things. So. Oh, so the budget was not to have photo shoots. The budget was you need to just procure images. So what Nate, my biggest learning lesson from this particular project uh-huh. was having a book coordinator and an editor come together to two creative, the writers, does not actually do anything for filling in the gaps. Mm-hmm. Like, there wasn't actually somebody with the design team necessarily or anybody that stepped in throughout to assist. Okay, I was wondering about that. Yeah, so it was very kind of lawless in a lot of ways, which mm-hmm. is very appropriate for the brand and what we've actually evolved from. Like, the, none of this has been very structured. It's all kind of grown to be what it is now. Mm-hmm. And that goes right in line with the book because Nate and I were creating content and we were kind of like, well, what should this look like? What should this be? And there was nobody telling us what it should be. Mm. So on some level, it's really great because we have full... Control. In some way. Yeah, right. besides, yeah Or besides, more. More than you might have. More than we might have, for sure. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, there's also um, a deficit that's created because we didn't have the tools or the information that we, like somebody who's done it in the past would have. So it was great that Ellen was able to commit, and she was, I think, more passionate and committed to the project consistently than Nate and I. I mean, we would get... (laughs) worn down we were it was during the fall time of work it was during like busy season as well as nate said working like 12 hours on the counter and then going home and trying to like bang out three hours or four hours of writing Mm -hmm. it can get um not to complain by any means but it can get taxing (laughs) and it can also get draining to the point where your energy is not just present anymore and ellen did a great job of just being consistent and being present and And providing a new energy to the pictures right and creativity and care Mm -hmm. like where we would get frustrated at points and be like i just can't do this right now like Mm -hmm. i literally can't do this she would just pick up and then um, be able to create something beautiful that i think the images in the book are outstanding are are wonderful and uh, the cheeses are mouth-watering, and they're in great shape, you know, so they just, you want to reach in and lick them. Yes, go uh, for it. But, but the one thing I noticed, and I wonder if this was the publisher, they're not always named. The images? Yeah, like some, when you have a, a, a page of five. Yeah. It's not always clear what's what. I haven't even read the book, so I'm very... <laughs> I'll lend I'm you impressed. my copy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure I can find one floating around somewhere. Um, that would be the pub- I mean, that would be the yeah. publisher and the design team. Yeah, because I was wondering about how does the layout work. Is that how the pictures... Like, you had space here, so this cheese goes in, rather than a cheese you might have favored the yeah. picture of. It, it was sort of... Uh, um, 
a lot of different channels working independently. Mm -hmm. And then when it came down to brass tacks, it was sort of like, well, this is what we have. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, so you had design, more pictures than you needed, probably. We had thousands <laughs> of pictures. Um, and then as far as getting the designer on the same page as, as us and making sure everything was, like, copacetic. Like, there was still, like, at the 11th hour, like, no, this is incorrect. This is incorrect. Right, you know, right, um, And right. scrambling a lot. Right. Um, so the fluidity was, you know, uh, not so fluid, but, you know. Um, <laughs> had some stops. Yeah, yeah, definitely had some stops. It should also be stated, just to go on the record to say it, that we had pages of edits that we submitted to the editor and the book coordinator that never actually plenty of time before the deadline did not make it did not make onto it the desk yeah mm-hmm. or into the copy that oh, you're reading okay. so okay. oh there are mistakes if they are gift certificate for anybody <laughs> who can find all two pages worth of edits that didn't actually make it through it's <laughs> all over that offer I'm no but just collect. it's a little it's a little piecemeal you know that yeah, there's images yeah. that probably don't have names there's images right, that we gave right. them that we said that this is the image of the cheese that we wanted yeah that didn't make it into right. the final cut, right. even though the formatting was laid out, and it should have just been a plug, uh, plug and play mm-hmm. situation. Right. But well, because reading cheese books has become my job. Yeah, I'm, where are we? No. I'm eagle eyed. What's our rating? <laughs> excellent, excellent. But Out of I'll, what is I'll, that? A one to five scale? Yeah, or? I'll send you a, a private email. I don't need a private. <laughs> you can put it on my Facebook. Oh, okay. Um, okay. So. Um, were you more inclined to include cheesemakers or cheeses of people you knew? Yeah, probably. Mm-hmm. Sure. American a, or European? Both. Or it doesn't both. matter. Yeah, I mean, we've both been really fortunate to travel a lot mm-hmm. in the course of our career. And anytime you actually get an opportunity to meet the producer and the community that is supported by the producer and their families and all mm-hmm. that stuff, it makes you feel more emotionally attached and mm-hmm. um, more committed mm-hmm. to right. providing that cheese its best service mm-hmm. if it's the quality that's on your counter to the fact that the consumer knows about it on some level and you know what it represents mm-hmm. and means on a larger scale instead of a right. And you're just more cheese. emotionally attached. I mean, I'm like rooting for the cheesemaker once you know them and like them. Yeah, I think that it's actually, there's that. And there's also like we have a platform to do this for them. Like they do this wonderful Mm -hmm. service for our industry. Right. You know, it's so respectable that like if we have a platform to give them their due, so to speak, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we're going to take that opportunity. It's a nice opportunity. Now, like one you write about who makes one wheel a day. Alplock. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Do you sell that? Yeah, we're actually one of very few <laughs> cheese shops that have that in the States. Well, because it's one, one Yeah, it's wheel one wheel a day, a day much, and only during the summer. How big I a mean, wheel that's also is like three. It's large. It's oh. way larger than that. It's oh, like, okay. It's like 60 pounds. 60 oh, okay, good. Pounds. <laughs> yeah. No, it's an alpine cheese, and mm-hmm. it's made by the Fuke family, and it's mm-hmm. only made from the beginning of summer till the beginning of fall, and it's alpine referring to the fact that the animals are actually up on pasture and grazing. But you made it sound very idyll- idyllic, that they go up there and they're just... What is idyllic on some levels? I mean, there's also generations, mm-hmm. and this is a... Um, this is culturally a significant way to preserve ancestry. This is what they've inherited. This is what different regions and areas have done forever. Mm-hmm. So 
in a world where we are so sound bites and online media and screens and short attention spans, it's right. really nice to see traditions being mm-hmm. carried on. Mm-hmm. Now, I realized in reading the book that um, I haven't been around Irving Place enough. It sounds like you're doing Affinage, mm-hmm. a lot of it, and were there a lot of uh, cheeses included in the book that you age? Yeah, I mean... Yeah, most of the Bloomy stuff we were ripening in-house last okay. spring. Okay. Um, yeah, and then everything everything that was photographed is out of its paper and living in the caves and being tended to uh-huh. uh, on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And is, is it in the basement? It's Where on the ground it? floor. Oh, okay. There's actually a window that we designed into the natural rhinid cave that you see when you first walk into the Irving Place location. Oh. It's right behind the mongers on the cheese, behind the cheese case. Oh, okay. Cool. And what's your, um, do you feel, what do you add to those cheeses? I think there's an attention to it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like uh, creating an environment for them to actually like continue to develop it, mm-hmm. um, and then making sure that they're sold at the right time um, mm-hmm. instead of being just thrown into you know thirty two to thirty eight degree storage kept mm-hmm. in paper. Um, mm-hmm. You know, sometimes that's the right way to do it. Sometimes it's it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, so it really, to me, it, it's so it's, the self affinage sort of cares for them better. I feel. Than I feel. Who, in a, than the road they may take otherwise. Yeah, I feel that it's definitely um, a better approach to it. Um, mm-hmm. I think you will have a varying um, degree of success with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but being able to see them, and you know, it's such a the, the sensory aspect of of this job is like you know the, the visual aspect and looking at the rides and inspecting them and just like making sure everything is is in good shape um, mm-hmm. is better than than not being able to see any of that um, and just having them tucked away. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I, I do think that they they have uh, good homes. How much room do you have in your cave? We have three caves. Um, I'd say <laughs> total square footage is somewhere around like two hundred and fifty to three hundred, something like that. Yeah, I would say like three to four. Like yeah. each cave is about eighty to hundred square feet. And that was the plan from the start of opening. Yeah, the yeah shop we designed and- it that way when we did the build out of Irving Place. Mm-hmm. Is that we wanted to have three different aging. Fa- environments. Mm-hmm. Okay. I have another big question, um, not about the book. Raw versus pasteurized. Have either of your feelings changed through the past, let's say, five years as the pressure has mounted in bad ways and the Europeans have been making pasteurized cheese to export to us? Are we talking in a format of, like, FDA conversation, or are we talking about in a format of health consciousness? Or? Not health consciousness. No, uh, taste consciousness. I can say, <clears throat> just from my own role as a cheesemonger for X amount of years, mm-hmm. that um, the way that producers feel most comfortable and confident making a cheese, mm-hmm. if it's with raw milk or thermalized milk or pasteurized milk, mm-hmm. is the way that it should be. And I think mm-hmm. that a larger facility or a unaware branch of a government that doesn't have all of the background information to really know what they're judging off of doesn't really have a place to tell them what the quote-unquote raw materials should be comprised of. Okay. Because if the end result is the quality product that they're intending it to be, then that's great. Like, mm-hmm. I know a lot of places, like, moved away from raw milk because there was 
outbreaks of certain sorts. Mm-hmm. And so that's mm-hmm. why Stilton is now made of a pasteurized right. to be like name protected. Um, but Stilton was originally made from a pasteurized milk. And mm-hmm. so there thus is Stitchelton to mm-hmm. try to get back to that recipe in that way. Um, I'm not going to say that I think raw is better than pasteurized or pasteurized is better than raw, but I w- will say that I think that a government branch shouldn't be in charge of telling mm-hmm. a producer what they should mm-hmm. use to make a cheese. Mm-hmm. So more uh, understanding towards a cheese maker, but against the FDA deciding what to tell people to do. Right. It should. I mean, a cheese maker and and their awareness and their education is goes far farther to me mm-hmm. than um, somebody telling me what is right and wrong. And I know for myself as somebody who's had milk allergies and lactose intolerant like drinking raw milk I'm always fine mm. compared to homogenized bleached mm. scorched. <laughs> okay, what about you Nate? What What's your philosophy uh, currently? My philosophy is um, I want the cheese to be in I want the cheese to be as the cheesemaker wants it. Mm-hmm. So whether that is pasteurized mm-hmm. or raw, I want that to be like I want them to present that. And um, I feel that yeah, raw milk health benefits wise, like probiotics, uh, mm-hmm. all the enzymes in there. I think there's a lot of positivity to it. I think mm-hmm. flavor wise, yeah, it's great. Um, mm-hmm. But if we're, I want the cheese to be able to to speak for itself, regardless of what that process is for the milk treatment. Because mm-hmm. so I think you can get wonderful things out of pasteurized milk, and you can get mediocre things out of raw milk. Mm-hmm. That's true. Okay, now you include feta in your list of cheese, and I know you just uh, visited a feta maker. Couple, yeah, yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about that, and has it changed your attitude or made you think you should import differently? Well, the feta, the Greek feta, mm-hmm. if we're just going to be exact as far as a name protected, okay. the only name protected cheese that Greece has going for them. Ah. Um, the feta that we have been carrying since it's been available has been the producers that I just came from visiting. So I personally think that the American palate has been um, forced to comprehend feta as a overly acidic, somewhat bile mm. um, Adaptation of what you find in Greece, okay. which is a much more um, approachable, enticing, both texture as well as flavor mm-hmm. product. Mm. And then, like you go anywhere, there's small producers that are exactly the type of people that we at Bedford have wanted to support forever. Mm-hmm. And in Greece, that's what you find as well. But on the larger scale, just like Breeze or Roquefort or any kind of name-protected cheese, name-brand cheeses, there's big factories, and that's what the marketplace gets flooded with for mm-hmm. the most part. So it kind of skews what the consumer thinks so. associates those mm-hmm. cheeses to be. Mm-hmm. So would you um, like to bring in smaller producers? Um, I think the two fetas that we carry now are super... Uh, you can get smaller. Oh, okay. It's, is it... Do you bring in from the nuns? So the nuns, we're just now <laughs> bringing in our first file from the nuns. Oh, so good. Diane actually... I want some. I want yeah. some. Diane hung out with a friend of ours, our Deborah. mutual friend, Deborah Dickerson, who's amazing, that we just went to Greece together and visited. There's this 
these these nuns that make this feta that completely live off the land who are just she was incredible. very impressed with the nuns. Yeah. Anyway, come to Bedford Tea Shop soon and you'll find that. Oh, photo. great, great. In Brooklyn or just both? Just, oh, no, okay, both good, of our good, stores good. simultaneously have the same rotation of inventory. Just oh, I was Bedford's ask smaller, you that. so it sometimes is more um, curated to okay. fill it. Is Brooklyn's taste different than Irving Place? I think we sell more domestic cheese in Brooklyn than we do in. In, um, okay. Yeah, that's uh, true. For sure. I think it's a little so the more Brooklyn the, hipster wants American. You know, by local. <laughs> I think it's also more touristy. Mm-hmm. Like uh, Williamsburg definitely. has grown oh. to be like a tourist oh, hub, true. and food tourism that's is true. a big thing. So, yeah. Brooklyn-made products that we've carried <laughs> since we opened don't actually sell at Irving. So we've had to stop carrying certain jams or certain you know different. Products, uh, not but, cheese. But the tourists want Brooklyn products. But the, the visitors of Williamsburg, Brooklyn, <laughs> want to take back a taste it is of the neighborhood. It's amazing how when you walk down Bedford Avenue, you hear many languages now. It's true. It's yeah. very. But the funny thing is, is back when we opened 2003, that's also what the neighborhood was. It was right. very international and it was very like cross section. But there were artists who lived there. Right. They it weren't wasn't the same the, tourists. It wasn't tourism, but it was the same European kind of cross-section that was happening, which I think is why the cheese shop survived and, huh. and thrived so well, because the first customers were people who Wanted knew it that from they their had homeland. In yeah. Oh, cool. Cool. That's interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's time to go. I want to thank both Charlotte Kamen and Nate. McElroy. McElroy. Got it. Thank you, Charlotte. You're welcome. And uh, it's been great talking about your book, A First Course in Cheese, and uh, maybe we'll be back. Sounds good. Thanks, Diane. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website, or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. <laughs>